Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Uh, to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse um, 8 tonight. This week, I've been reading, well, actually listening to uh, an Audible book. Uh, It came out last month in September, and it is called Live Not By Lies. Live Not By Lies, the subtitle is A Manual for Christian Dissidents. Okay? Um, And in that, the the phrase, Live Not By By Lies, comes from a... An essay that was written by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Does anybody know who Alexander Solzhenitsyn was? No. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was uh, a Christian who lived under Soviet Russia, who was sent to the gulags uh, for his uh, for his faith, and uh, he wrote a massive work called the Gulag Archipelago. The gulags were those prison camps where the the uh, uh, Russian dissidents were sent. Uh, under the totalitarianism of Soviet Russia, and or yeah, Soviet the USSR, <laughs> and um, uh, the an archipelago is a a, um, uh, a group of islands, and so by uh, the Gulag Archipelago is talking about this these uh, scattered. Uh, islands of prison camps all over the Soviet Union. Uh, And he describes what communism and what totalitarianism totalitarianism leads to. And in this book that I was listening to this week, I I read the whole thing, it's only about six hours long to listen to, Um, it's, uh, it's talking about how we in the United States are facing times in which uh, there is a soft totalitarianism that's, that's coming upon us. Um, in in uh, Soviet Russia, in the USSR, they had a hard totalitarianism uh, where, where the, the government enforced a rigid uh, um, form of, of thought police where the government uh, would, would persecute people for uh, dissenting from what uh, communist ideology was. And in the United States, we are coming upon times in which there is a soft totalitarianism. It's not that the government is enforcing something, but there is such a spirit of political correctness in society that people are shunned and people are... are, 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 are uh, um, Afraid to even speak up because they're afraid they might lose their job or other kinds of consequences that would come against them in this soft totalitarianism. And so the basic idea is how are we going to be a people who live not by lies? The communist ideology and the ideology of our world today is is a lie. And, And... If we want to stand up with the truth, the the truth that the Scripture tells us, it may seem like common sense to us, but if we speak out, then people will think we're crazy. How do we stand up with that kind of thing? I think that the book of 1 Peter has been given to us 
as a manual of how not to live by lies. The, the book of 1 Peter is telling us how we are to live as strangers and aliens in a hostile world. And what does it tell us first before getting to how we are to live? It tells us first the truth. We've been born again. We have a future that is glorious before us, that will never fade, that will never wear out, that, that, is, that is, uh, it, it is unfading, it is, it is so satisfying. And God holds that for us, and, and, and He holds us by His hands and preserves us until that day. Um, that is the truth that we're to live by. And then on the basis of that truth, He tells us how we're to live. He tells us that we're to be holy. He tells us that we're to fear God. He tells us that we're to put our hope fully on the grace that's to be revealed. You know, that's a lie that the, that the world today wants to tell us to, to believe. They, they tell us that, that it, is, it is blind just to put our hope on the future. That, that uh, uh, they, they would accuse us of, of, of being people who, oh, you, maybe you've heard this phrase. If you're really pro-life, then you should also care about um, uh, after a person is born, right? Uh, and there's this accusation, this, this subtle accusation that people who care about the unborn don't really care about taking care of the poor and things like that. That is a falsehood. That is a, a, a falsehood. They give us this accusation. Maybe the only difference is we think that we should be doing it personally rather than depending on the government to do it. <laughs> All right? The people who accuse us of those things, uh, really, uh, they expect us you know, to, to join with them in, in saying, well, the government should pay for all of these things. When as believers... We do care about both the lives of the unborn and those who live throughout all of life. And we don't just want to depend on the government to do it. We want to give our lives in caring for these people. Right? And so there's a subtlety there of, of a lie. I got off track. <laughs> just got distracted. One of the things he tells us to do, we are to love one another earnestly from the heart because we've been born again, right? Because the, the Word of God has uh, changed us and, and, and caused us to be born again. We are now a new family of brothers and sisters in Christ. Be on that basis, we're to love one another. Tonight, he kind of returns to this. What we've been seeing in the last few weeks is how... We are to live in this hostile culture in all these different spheres. He tells us we're to be obedient to the government, right? Even, even a government that might uh, be totalitarian. Even a government that might be an evil government. Insofar as we're able, we're just to be good citizens and to be, obey the government insofar as it's not causing us to sin. In, then he talks about slaves and masters. Uh, in the same way, uh, a slave, he tells uh, believers, is to uh, be obedient, to be subject to their master, and in so doing, they are looking at the example of Jesus. 
Jesus took on suffering, He could have claimed His rights, and yet He didn't. He, he took on the form of a servant and suffered at the hands of people, and we, as we suffer, should look to Jesus and follow after His steps. Not in order to become Christians, but because He has already caused us to be born again. And then, last week, we looked at wives and husbands. Similarly, our example should be Jesus. He gives us uh, how we are to live in these different circumstances, just like uh, servants, wives are to also uh, be subject to their husbands, um, not uh, for some kind of cultural reason or anything like that, but for the glory of God. Because, not because they fear their husbands, but because they fear God. And now, after Peter has described all of these different scenarios, now he, he tells us, now all of you, this is how we to live, we're to live. So he's, he's specified several different areas of how we're to live based on what the truth is that we already have looked at over the course of chapter 1 and parts of chapter 2. Um, and, and, and now he's summarizing this section of how you are to live in different, in different situations in life by coming back and saying, all of you, this is how we are to live. So let's look at our text. Beginning in verse 8, it says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We don't have to look to philosophies that man has come up with to know how we're to live. Your word is sufficient for all things in life and godliness. Father, help us, Lord, to depend on your word. Help us to trust that your word is enough. Help us, Lord, to stand up as citizens of another kingdom who live in the midst of this hostile world. Help us, Lord. Feed us by Your Word. Let Your Word give us strength to keep on going in the midst of hostility. Lord, we love You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Finally. Sounds like a sermon, doesn't it? <laughs> he's only in chapter 3 out of 5, and he's starting with, Finally. <laughs> when, whenever a preacher says finally you're thinking alright it's about time to wave winding that up but no he's just this section is, is closing uh, uh, finally 
Um, out of all these things that he's been describing, he's, he's speaking to everyone. In whatever situation you're in, uh, as a believer, all of you have these certain characteristics. First, in verse 8, what it looks like, what it appears to be, is that he's speaking about how Christians should relate to one another. And in verse 9, it appears that it's talking about how Christians should relate to the world. And so let's look at them in that order. Verse 8 tells us, as believers, as a, as a church, as community of, of believers in Jesus, we're to have these qualities. We're to have a unity of mind. We're, we're, to, have, uh, we're to be of, of one mind. We're to be uh, in agreement with one another. Um, Jesus prayed for this. Jesus prayed in, in uh, John chapter drawn a blank. 17, I think it was. Uh, John chapter 17. That we would be one as He and the Father are one. Uh, Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians tells us about how uh, we are to strive for the unity of the brethren. And here, again, we're hearing how, how Peter says that in the midst of this hostile world, what we need to do is have agreement with one another. We need to have unity. Um, divisions will make it more difficult for us to face the hostile world around us, right? If, if all the world is against us and we can't get along with one another, how are we going to keep going? That will make it increasingly difficult to do. Um, there's so much pressure from the outside. We've got to be on the same page. We've got to be, you know, stay on the same page. We've got to to um, uh, focus on what the main thing is. That is, that is the scriptures as as God's word. That is Jesus, who who is our redeemer, who who saved us by His atoning work on the cross. We've got to uh, we've got to focus on what is the main thing and not be be. Um, um, torn apart by other ideologies that come up. Um, there's so much division even now in our society. We are facing such obstacle of, of, uh, of um, the hostility from the world, and yet believers are divided over things like critical race theory. Uh, if, you, if you're on Facebook or if you follow some of those debates, um, uh, You've got different groups of people. One who are, who are um, um, have a very strong concern for racial harmony and unity and, and, and things, and others who I don't think disagree. They don't they don't say you know no I'm I'm against uh, um, those things. But at the same time, uh, they're making accusations against the other group of, if, if you care about racism, then you must be uh, some kind of Marxist or something. Um, now, I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but I'm just kind of laying out the, the, uh, the, 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 the groundwork here. Believers these days, especially if you look at what's going on in Facebook um, or, or Twitter or other, other areas, are sometimes at each other's throats. And, and, and we can think about politics as well. We've got some who would say, oh, you know, if you're, if you're going to vote for Trump, 
then, and I don't like to talk about politics, but this is just an example. If, if you're going to vote for Trump, then you must be compromising because, you know, we, we, uh, we, uh, we believe that character matters, right? And what would we say back in the 1990s about who our president was when his character was bad? Okay, so we've got one group who's saying that about the others, and then we've got the other group saying, well, how can a Christian in good conscience vote for somebody who supports abortion? Right? And you have both of these holding on to something that's right, yet we do want to have got character in our leaders. And on the other hand, we don't want to vote for somebody who is... Uh, is uh, support something that God hates, and so we have we have each side entrenched in their in their different positions and 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 at each other's throats. Brothers and sisters, this not ought not to be how it should be. If we're going to stand up in the midst of a hostile world, we've got to have unity of mind. I'm not going to say I have the answer to that question or to any of those questions. I think maybe the answer, uh, here's a suggestion, the answer would lie in giving one another liberty. To, to love one another even when we disagree. That's part of it. But at the same time, sometimes unity means we have to be separate. Now, now this, this is a strange concept for us. Uh, um, oftentimes, people have looked at denominations and said, well, you've got all these different denominations, and Christ's body is just torn into all these different pieces. But actually, denominations and having local churches actually is a form that helps preserve unity. When we have those matters of conscience in which we cannot come to an agreement, those things in which uh, maybe the Bible doesn't speak directly on, or maybe we just come to different positions about what the Bible is saying. You have people who strongly believe that the Bible teaches that it's okay to baptize infants. Now, I don't believe that's true. But you have, you have many who strongly believe that. They believe the gospel. They believe that they're saved by faith in Jesus alone. But yet they, they, they hold that, that uh, because um, they would say something like baptism replaces circumcision. And in the Old Testament, babies were circumcised. Uh, and in the same way, in the, in the New Testament, babies should be, have the mark of the new covenant, which is baptism. That's what they would say. And I don't agree with that. And at the same time, we, uh, as a Baptist church, we say, no, that it's believers that should receive baptism, only believers. Now, if you have one who's thoroughly convinced that this is what the Bible teaches, and we have the others who, who are thoroughly convinced that this is what the Bible teaches, how are we going to have unity? If we try to coexist in one congregation, then someone is going to feel like their conscience is being hurt. So by uh, allowing ourselves to meet in separate congregations, loving one another beyond our differences, recognizing one another as, as Christians, but at the same time, meeting in separate congregations actually helps us to have unity. All that from the fact that we're supposed to have a unity of mind. 
That's how we can make it in this world that's against us. Sympathy is the next thing. Sympathy. We're to feel with one another. That is kind of maybe paired with what comes later, a tender heart. Sympathy and a tender heart. We, we ought to feel with one another. When one hurts, we all hurt with them. We weep with those who weep. We bear one another's burdens. This is what it is to be a believer in the midst of this hostile world. When someone is, is facing persecution or someone is facing uh, hostility, maybe it's not ourselves, but someone we know is, or someone in, you know, we ought to have sympathy and brotherly love for those who are in other parts of the world, our fellow believers, our fellow brothers and sisters in China and in southern Sudan and in other places in the world where there, we ought to feel for those brothers and sisters who are facing sometimes the threat of death for believing in Jesus. And among one another, when we recognize someone with need, uh, someone who is hurting, then we as a body do what we can to, to care for that. And, and we're tender and compassionate. We have sympathy with one another. We're feeling with one another. And we have a tender heart. Brotherly love. This goes along with what he said earlier at the end of chapter 1. Remember, he said, Having purified your souls by, a sens- by, by your obedience to, dr- to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from the heart. As believers, how are we going to get through this hostile world? How do we relate to one another? We love one another. We remember we are brothers and sisters. We have been born again by the imperishable Word of God. We are a family. And as a consequence, we love one another. And have a humble mind. He started out with having unity of mind. And he ends this list of having a humble mind. I think those are related as well. Having a hump, they're both having to do with a mind, right? One is having unity of mind, the other one's having a humble of mind. And they're related. How do we have a unity of mind? By having a humble mind. If we think, well, I'm right and they're wrong, and we lift ourselves up higher than other people, then we're we're bound for division. Right? But if we think of others as greater than ourselves and have that humble mind, then it fosters a unity between us as well. Notice, there's kind of what you might see. Uh, literally, there's an A, B, C, B, A pattern here. Uh, some might call that a chiasm. Uh, what, it, what it is, you, you can pair a humble mind with uh, a unity of mind. You can pair compassion, or I'm sorry, you can pair sympathy with a tender heart. And the one in the center is the one that's the most important. It's brotherly love. How are we going to have a humble mind and unity of mind? How are we going to have sympathy and a tender heart? It's by loving one another. 
loving one another, looking past one another's faults, looking past the differences we have, knowing we are a family and we love one another. That's verse 8. We're 23 minutes in already. (laughs) Okay. Next, he moves on to talk about how we're to relate to those on the outside. Do not repay evil for, or for evil or reviling for revival, but on the contrary, blessed. Here, uh, you know, I say it's to those on the outside. Uh, it's possible, I say, uh, that it doesn't necessarily have to just be on those on the outside. It's possible that, you know, believers might treat one another wrongly. You might feel, I've been wronged by another believer. And, and, and our response should not be to just get them back and, and, to, and to get revenge by repaying evil with evil. We might feel that we've been wronged by speech, by someone speaking something about us. And our response, even among believers, should not be to revile in return. But I think primarily what Peter may have in mind here is the outside world. When... We are spoken of wrongly when we are spoken of being called bigots. When we're spoken of, uh, maybe made fun of because of our stance before Christ of of holding on to um, what the Bible says about morality. When when we may receive injustice against us because of our Christian stance. We don't repay. We don't get revenge. We don't repay evil for evil when it comes to doing things, physically doing things. And we don't revile for reviling. And that is with speech. Both our words and our conduct. We don't return evil for evil. But on the contrary, what do we do? We bless. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is following right after what Jesus said. In response to persecution, in response to uh, people reviling us and hurting us and doing injury to us, we don't do the same to them. Instead, we bless. We love them. We pray for them. To bless them is to pray for their good. Pray that that God would open their eyes and that they might receive the same mercy we did. We bless. And he says, For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Um, He says this same phrase, To this you were called earlier when he's talking to servants. In in chapter 2, In verse 21, he says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. And here he says, To this you were called. We were called. God called us. It's something that it is in the past that happened. We were born again. He called us. He, he, he called us out of darkness and into light. 
He, he did that by His Word. As we heard the Gospel, He called us. It's effectual calling. Where His, His calling comes to us, we hear the Gospel, we hear the voice of the Shepherd, and we follow. To this we were called to bless others, even whenever they persecute us. Just like Jesus did, who on the cross, as people were persecuting Him, as people were beating and mocking Him, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That you may obtain a blessing. This is the connection that I've got for the Old Testament Scripture reading. Josh read from Genesis chapter 12, and that's where God was calling Abraham out in order that He might bless him and that He would be a blessing to all nations. <laughs> I, I hear this, this echo here of, of what's happening in Genesis chapter 12. Just like Abraham was called so that he might be a blessing to all nations, we are called to suffering and we're called to follow after Jesus' example. And we're called to bless others, even when we are facing persecution, that we might obtain a blessing. Abraham obtained a blessing. He was the father of many nations. In fact, he was the, the ancestor of the Messiah that was to come, who then blessed all nations. And, and our blessing as we suffer and, and we suffer like Jesus who as a lamb before His shearers is silent, suffered. As we suffer and bless in return, our persecutors, our, those who are hostile against us will see our behavior and maybe they might inherit that same blessing. They'll see the way we respond and think only somebody who's been changed by Jesus can act that way. And maybe it would open their eyes that they might believe the Gospel as well. Finally, Peter grounds what he's been saying in an Old Testament Scripture. It's from Psalm 34. And a few weeks ago, we had a Scripture reading that was all of Psalm 34. Whenever we looked at um, chapter 2, um, and actually, no, it was chapter 1 where it says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower that fades. No, I'm sorry, wrong one. Oh, it wasn't a quotation. It was whenever he said, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Whenever the Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, it's that same chapter that, that Peter is quoting here. So he must have been meditating on that chapter as, as a way to understand how we're to live in the midst of persecution. But he said, whoever desires to love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. If you want to love life and see good days, and he's not just talking about your best life now. He's not just talking about material blessings. He's talking about that hope that we set, our, uh, we set all of our hope on. That future hope that we're looking forward to. If we want to achieve that, 
Then, let him keep his tongue from evil. Let's watch our words. James says that is very, very difficult, right? James warns us that no one can tame the tongue. But it should be our desire and it should be our, what we strive to do as we live in this hostile world to keep our tongues from evil and what we say and our, our lips from speaking deceit. Here again, I'm reminded of how I opened up. We live not by lies. We have a, an enormous amount of pressure on us as believers, to give in. To say what will be pleasing to the world around us. To say, no, homosexuality is not sin. Love is love. That's, that's what we have pressure on, from the world to say. If we give in to those things, our mouths will be speaking deceit. If we want to see good days, then let's not speak deceit. Let's not live by lies. But we'll hold on to what the Scriptures teach us even whenever we face persecution for us for it. Let Him turn away from evil and do good. Both in our speech and in our conduct. And whenever it says turn away from evil, He's not talking about someone who's always been perfect. Right? He's talking about someone who's repentant. Turn away from evil. We all are born into this world doing evil. We all, I mean, just like, just like those around us who, who, are, who live in this world who want to be hostile against us and persecute us, for our faith in Christ, they're doing evil. We were once the same way. This text tells us the one who wants to see good days, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him repent. Let him repent. Turn away. It's, it's a 180. We were going one way, and now we're going the other. Like Peter had talked about in chapter 2, we were, he brought us out of darkness into the light. So if we want to see good days and love life, we're to watch our speech, we're to watch our conduct, and we're to seek peace and pursue it. Peace with one another and peace with God. I think one of the ways that we seek peace and pursue after peace is evangelism. People who are not believers are at enmity with God. And we seek after peace as we plead with people to believe the Gospel and to see them reconciled with God. To see them to trust in Jesus who gave Himself for them. That's one way we can seek peace and pursue it. And it tells us, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. When you live like this, when you have a humble mind, when you love one another, when you're sympathetic 
and, and tender-hearted towards one another as believers. And when we live like in a way where we don't use evil words against people, and we're, we're living, we're not repaying evil for evil, but we're doing good and we're blessing, the eyes of the Lord are on us. He sees us. We might feel like we're alone, but His eye is on us. And He sees us. And He's there with us all the way. But, in contrast, it tells us, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Those who do evil. I'm saying these are unbelievers. Those who, who are the ones who are hostile against us. Those who are not obedient to the truth. The Lord's face is against them. He is angry with them. There is wrath and judgment that is storing up for them unless they do what's in verse 11. Turn away from evil and do good. Now with all of this said, I've been saying all along, we don't do these things in order to be saved, right? We do these things because we have been saved. Peter begins with saying, this is what's true about you. You have been born again to a living hope. You have this hope. We're living in response to this. But at the same time, there seems to also be a tension. These things are necessary. If we don't repent and we don't turn away from the evil ways of living, like returning evil for evil, if we don't turn away from hostility, then we have no reason to expect that we have that hope and future before us. Right? There is, I'm not trying to sow seeds of doubt, but at the same time, our works are a necessary evidence that Jesus has really changed us. If we don't have fruit, there's no root. <laughs> right? The root is Jesus has changed us. He's caused us to be born again. But we've got to produce fruit. Faith without works is dead. Like James says it. It's necessary. And those who God has saved, those who He has caused to be born again, He will hold on to and He will produce repentance within us. We will certainly do what it says here. We will be the kinds of people who will bless and respond to cursing. We are going to be the kind of people who will not retaliate for wrongs done to us. We will be the kind of people not in order for God to accept us, but because He has wrought this change within us. There's a tension of both things here. First Peter is so much focused on what God has done for us in Jesus. But let us not forget... We are responsible to live out in obedience to Him. To fear Him. To be holy as He is holy. 
I'm a kind of a preacher who focuses a lot on what God has done for us. I'm I'm the type of preacher who wants to focus so much on, on this is gospel truth. And sometimes I neglect. Not that I mean to, but I just... My temptation may be to neglect the commands to say, we must live this way. But let me not ever do that. Hold me accountable. Let us be the kind of people that when we face persecution, hostility, that we'll respond like Jesus did. We will bless in response to cursing. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.